They want me to change, but I ain't changing. Nah. I remain the same. And you are now tuned into another episode of Intellectually Petty Radio. Brought to you by M3S3 Clothing. Men make moves and suckers stand still. And as always, on the mighty, 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 mighty Nerf DJs Radio Network. Shout out to you. Shout out to your family. Um, and I am just waiting on the absolute legend himself, Mr. Paul Stewart, to arrive to the platform. And while I do that, man, I think I will have. Let's see. And you know what? I have not shown y'all this in a, in a, in a while. Like, look, look at that, man. It's an intellectually petty radio sipping glass. That's pretty dope, ain't it? And, you know, while I'm at it, since I'm just showing off a little bit, you know. I got the shirt too, intellectually petty. Yep, had to make sure this one had radio on there. Let me wipe that off a little bit. Um, anyway, uh, so I had an interview earlier today, man, with Art Foster. Um, and, yo, the plant-based gorilla sensei is 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 the real deal. That, that was a very, very dope interview. Um, I had a couple interviews yesterday, too. Um, yo, who, who do we have on yesterday? Ruben Wood, uh, the president of QC DJs. Um, and y'all, y'all, y'all know QC, um, who they got? They got Vezo, uh, 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 the Migos started there. Um, and I want to say who they still got, uh, yeah, I don't know too much about, they, they roster is just ridiculous. Let's just put it that way. Um. And then they signed, they have recently signed actually a Christian rapper, Emmanuel the Prophet. And I got a chance to interview him as well yesterday. And yo, this kid was amazing. You know, so if you go back, um, if you get a chance, you know, go to Intellectually Petty Radio on YouTube and check the young brother out. Um, and, and check out Ruben um, as well as Art. Um, let's see, who else have I interviewed recently? Uh, Nuri Muhammad. Um, that was a really good interview. Jeez, you know what? While we at it, I got a couple minutes. Oh, wow. That's, that's, sometimes I don't get a chance to, uh, actually look at the YouTube during the show. And some of the comments, man, be pretty, pretty dope. I'm not going to lie. Uh, all right, let's see. Oh, Shabazz the OG, the fire interview. Brandon and Christina Smith from uh, Love and Marriage Detroit. Beautiful, like just absolutely love that interview. Um, Kevin Tolbert, the 12th District Congressional uh, Chairman. Very, very dope. Uh, Anthony... E. Thompson the second, also from uh, Love and Marriage, uh, Detroit. Yo, Dave Tolliver, Al Newt, man, Al Newt, man. I've 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 been a fan of Al Newt's, man. Jesus, man, it's like, <laughs> jeez, uh, probably what about my teenage years? Like, dude has been putting in work for a long time. Man. Just, same thing with the Drunken Master. Yo, Black Nails was phenomenal. Doctor Olivia West was was that was a good with Big Les. Like I, I was I spazzed out so bad in the Big Les interview, man. I um 
I did not start the show for the first 15 minutes because I was so fanned out. Um, yo, check out Royalty. Royalty. I, I had to also had the honor of uh, interviewing Gilly's son, Trey Seven Mac. Um, and that was his first interview after uh, losing his brother. Uh, definitely a very powerful conversation. Pastor Daryl Scott, Trump advisor, was an interesting, interesting interview, to say the least. Uh, yo, Brayla, oh my God. Oh, girl is a, is a talent, to say the least. She is extremely talented. Uh, let's, let, let, let me uh, text her real quick. Y'all know I can't text and talk at the same time. Alright. And you know what? Uh yeah, we were supposed to start at seven thirty. So, uh, you know, uh, it is what it is. Things happen. When it's live, you you just adapt. And I'm not big on talking about too much of, of you know, the the news, the gossip of the day per se. Because I don't pay attention to much of shit, to be quite honest. Um, and now, you know, I don't even watch the news. Like, I, I used to be, uh, I used to watch the news a lot. And more specifically, I used to watch CNN a lot. And I just don't anymore. Um, the whole war situation is, 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 that's depressing to say the least. Um, but the fact that I just, it just not, doesn't seem as though the news is an unbiased reporting of the facts. I don't care if you watch Fox. I don't care if you watch CNN. I don't care if you watch your local news. They're all biased in one way or the other. And the reporting on the war has been extremely one-sided. For one side or the other, depending on what which uh, network you're watching, um, and it's just I, I'm tired of it. And and I think a lot of us have gotten to that point as a society, where it's sad. You know, you used to feel like you had confidence in, and and not that they were any different back in the '50s or the '60s or the '70s or the '80s, um, but maybe we were more ignorant as a I'm not even maybe we were more ignorant as a society back then and the ability to research what they were telling us was almost non-existent especially when it, when it concerned things to transpire outside of the country so we were wholly dependent on the news reporters giving us every bit of information now you know, with the proliferation of cell phones and cameras everywhere across the planet, uh, we don't have to depend on the news to report what's going on. And then when we do watch the news, you know, some they don't always, they rush to tell the story first as opposed to rushing to tell the story accurately. And... They plaster it all over the, the, the headlines in the beginning. And if they're wrong, a little blip goes at the bottom of the screen, you know, scrolls across the screen. 
uh, we said so-and-so, but we were absolutely wrong about that. My bad. And nobody notices that. You know, if you're going to, be, you know, do something when you are wrong, you got to you got to have that same energy as when you reported it the first time. And, you know, me, uh, I'm going to give it a few minutes or so. Oh, OK. He says he's backstage. Uh, I don't see you, bro. And let let me see. You know what? This is what we'll do. Give me one second, and we will do it this way. Cause maybe. He has the wrong link. And to verify that, yeah, that's, I, I, he just told me that. Uh, <laughs> so, because uh, I'm I, not seeing you backstage at all, uh, which I should be able to. You would come up immediately and... It could be that I'm just an idiot, you know. That happens. No, 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 no. My bad, but I was just uh Hello. Yeah, I'm actually live currently. Uh huh. <laughs> And you know what? I, I do apologize for the confusion and the late delay, the delayed start. But I'm, I guarantee you it'll be absolutely worth the wait. When I talk about legends, like Paul Stewart is the legend that you didn't know was so legendary. Um, and, 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 and Where you going, bro? Wait, 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 wait. I'm give, I was giving you the, the intro of the millennium. Go, go, go. <laughs> Sorry about that. You're all right, man. How you doing? I'm blessed. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, no, no. The honor is mine, man. And I do apologize for the mix-up. Um, it, it happens, though. Um, how's your family, bro? like that Malcolm X. Oh, everyone's good, man. Everyone's good, you know? Thank you. Oh, you're talking, about right, you're talking about right there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, got a little hodgepodge. My dad made, my dad painted that. He was, he was a painter. Uh, my middle daughter painted that one. Uh, let's see. And I'm from Detroit, so, you know, got to run Michigan a little bit. Uh, and I, that's just some random shit that we got up there. <laughs> anyway, um, yo, um, I, I was telling Rita, I'm, 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 you know, doing my little research or whatever, and I'm, I'm going through old interviews that you've done and, okay. and, and, and I'm like, how the fuck do I not know this guy? I'm in the cut. I stay in the cut a little bit. You know what I mean? I'm a kind of more <laughs> low key a little bit. You know what I mean? In my day, uh, in my in my prime, I was, I was, you know, doing a lot of stuff. But you know, my thing was promoting artists, and I was promoting artists. So I, I, I don't need to be so much in the front. So some people, some people miss me. You know what I mean? And uh, uh, you know, uh, um, I've been kind of on the on the side uh, uh, in the background doing music supervision stuff for a long time. 
been really been really focused on that after I kind of got out of the big like discovering rapper mode I was in for a few years, you know. Okay. Now the music supervision. I know you did hustle and flow. Yeah. Uh, Fast Poetic, and Justice. Poetic Justice was the first movie I ever did. I worked. Uh, I did the barbershops. More recently, I worked on uh, Snowfall for quite a few seasons. I worked on Insecure. Uh, I worked on uh, this show with Offset that just came off HBO Max uh, called The Hype. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got like seventy credits, man. I mean, like. I've done a lot of movies. Like I said, starting starting with Poetic Justice, I've been doing music supervision ever since then. Yo, what was Tupac like? Cool as fuck. Okay, you got to give me more. You got to give me more than just cool as fuck. Like, like did, did you get a chance to hang out with Pac? Crazy story is uh, John Singleton took me and Tupac to uh, Freaknik after he rapped uh, Poetic Justice. So we were like, the three of us were hanging out. So I got to hang out with him a lot there. And when I was managing Coolio, I ran into him at the studio a fair amount. We would sometimes all recorded Echo Sound. But um, shout out Tupac, man. I mean, he was super intelligent. Uh, he had like he was many sided. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this was like people were coming up to him and calling him Bishop in Atlanta from the Juice era. So this was like really before you know the real like gangster Tupac era came in. That's when I was like you know spending time with him or whatever. And you know he was like you know honored like to be around john but at the same time like you know he would you know he wasn't like bowing down to nobody you know what i mean he had he was opinionated like we was in the back of the limo driving around for a lot of the weekend and and so yeah uh and 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 just the funny story too is that he was playing um biggie's song had just come out first song ever party and bullshit and he was playing that shit to death like the whole weekend he was murdering that song like over and over yo that's the, 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 the tragedy of that situation is how cool they were Right, you know, um, right. and unfortunately, the people that hurt you the most are the ones you love the most. Oh, I was at that Freaknik too. You said you went to Freaknik. Oh, I went to Freaknik twice. Yeah, this was at the height of it. Yeah, I went. What was that? Ninety four. Yeah, ninety three, ninety four. Ninety three, ninety four. Yeah, I figured. Oh, I, got, I got figured it out, but yeah, it was legendary. So. All right, so resume wise. Uh, PMP, you started that. Um, you first, your first job was at Delicious Vinyl. You started DJing in college. Grew yep. up in Crenshaw. You grew up in Crenshaw. Not a well, good, like people you're right now. We're in the Crenshaw district right now. And from my understanding, like there's a, I don't a good part of Crenshaw. Yeah, I'm from the good part. Yeah, it's a really nice part actually. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, on my this is how crazy it is, and how the diversity of what you see growing up in my neighborhood, it, particularly mm-hmm. exactly where I was. On my block, I had a black uh, judge. I had a black brain surgeon. I had a black NFL superstar. Deacon Jones lived next door to me. And then, and then, but we're right. We're like literally like spitting distance from the jungles, you know, training day, that neighborhood that they, you know, those blocks they show on training day, that's like mm-hmm. right there. That's right next borders up to my neighborhood. You know what I mean? So, you know, you're affected by that neighborhood, but you're not in it. You know what I mean? And you're also yeah. right next to Lamert Park. You're, you're in the whole Crenshaw. You know what I mean? So, it, you know, it was a really unique uh, place for me to grow up. I was really blessed. Um, you know, my dad was crazy about the house when, like, white people were moving out. Like, there was a stampede. I mean, like, white flight was in full, you know, heavy rotation. And he decided to buy a house in the neighborhood. And, 
it just affected me greatly by, you know, when I was in high school, I started hanging out with cats that were like kind of from Nipsey's neighborhood, not gangbangers or nothing, you know what I mean? But like mm-hmm. cats from that neighborhood and they were putting me up on mad game and music and everything. And that, that just really influenced me uh, to start getting into black music. And then I started DJing and then, you know, I found my spot, you know, as, as, you know, in the space, in the industry. And I, I ask people this all the time. When did you fall in love with hip hop? First time I heard it, I mean, damn, like, you know, it was, I'm old, man. So it was like, I was around I mean, before. Look at me, bro. Yeah, yeah. I'm around <laughs> before there was hip hop, right? So when I was in high school, I heard it and I was just like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? And, and it, it just like blew my brain back, you know? And there was like, you know, levels of it. Like when I first started DJing, I was using playing a lot of it, but we we're also playing a lot of like other kinds of music. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in L.A., you know, the whole Rick James and, you know, like the funk thing was so hardcore. So I came from a lot of that. And then it was like New Wave was popping. We were playing like Madonna and, you know, all kind of shit like that and all kind of music. And then hip hop just at one point closely just took over. You know what I mean? So it was like I I remember when Run DMC came out. That was for me just kind of like, whoa. There were moments, you know, the first time I heard Eric B and Rakim, like, whoa. That, you know, yo, you know, that was crazy right there with Eric B. When Rakim came out, Rakim was like an alien just dropped just just, all just day. flew by. I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better. Yeah, that 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 dude. Uh, and for me, EPMD. Oh, me too. That's funny you say that. Me too. I remember right where I was, there was a little record store in San Francisco. Because that's where I would go to San Francisco or Oakland to buy records because I was in school in Northern California. Bobby G, Soul and Disco. And it was hilarious because it was this old white man. And it was like white hair and he would be playing the jams and and like you know and it's the time where like you play something in the store and then you'd buy it right and i walked in there one time and he was playing you got to be chill you, you got to chill or whatever and i was like what the fuck is this bobby i need this you know what i mean and so uh yeah i remember first when i heard EPMD, the way they use the samples and everything too yeah it was like it's so crazy same with like you say like with eric b it was like that era of hip-hop the way they were using the samples just like really drew me in you know what I mean? To like, you know, it made me appreciate soul music later as I started to realize what they were sampling and stuff. You know. And what's crazy is like, I I I, I, I was listening. You said you your first apartment, you lived in the apartment building with uh, DJ Aladdin. Yeah, these were crazy apartments because they were like on Sunset near like Normandy, and it was a very hood at that time. You know, like, you know that that part of Hollywood that you know there was, mm-hmm. like, you know. Um, a lot of activity outside the front door but it was just you know it was like for poor upcoming people that lived in it and it was the joke that everyone who lived in the this building because there was not that many apartments in it was either like they said it was either like a, a a hip-hop dude a heavy metal dude or a stripper or something like that there was like some <laughs> kind of joke but it was like <laughs> but like it was like the kind of apartment complex where people would leave like the carts from supermarkets in the bottom like it, i mean it was janky it was a janky neighborhood but um the apartment where Aladdin lived was legendary because his roommate was DJ Muggs and that's where Cypress Hill formed. But it was crazy too, because they didn't have any friends. And, and that's when um, Aladdin was doing um, his group with WC. Yeah, low, low profile. Low profile. Right, right. And Cooley. Yo, I'm telling you, like, I thought that they were the next EPMD. Low profile. Yes. Yeah, they were dope as hell. Yeah, well, you know, it's crazy because I. I definitely met cats there. I don't think I, I didn't meet Coolio there, but I met Coolio at Street Knowledge. But um, but you know, Doug Young is somebody I always knew. He worked with the group, and 
Yeah, Latin was my homie. He is my homie, man. I haven't seen him for a minute, but but uh, cool ass dude and and mugs too. And you know, it was crazy because I lived two doors down from them in this apartment complex. And then next door to me was Prince Whipper Whip, and um, oh man, another old school legend lived in that apartment um, from New York. Um, the guy who wrote the rhymes that they stole for uh, Rapper's Delight. I'm blanking on. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Uh, is that Grandmaster Cass? Yep. Kaz lived in there one time. So these apartments were crazy. The dude, there was a, my first roommate was a dude from um, Kumo D's group, the Triple Three or whatever the fuck. Oh, the Treacherous Three. Treacherous Three. Yeah, I lived one of the dudes, the other dudes from that group, and it was always it was like hip hop, like it was crazy. It was, but it was real grimy. But 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 Whip used to sell uh, weed, and me and Mugs used to piece up on his little dime bags or dubs, and they they were tiny. But all we had to do was walk in store and like bang on his window and he just opened his window. You know, it was so convenient. You know what I mean? You gotta understand. So this. what was a young Cypress Hill like? So there were no dispensaries or anything, kids. So, you know, what, what was a young Cypress Hill like? Did know. you but matter of fact, no, hold on, before, before, was before you answer that. Hassan Doobie was part of it too at the beginning. Did did you see what they would, you know, did you see the greatness in them early on or, or, or did they just look like, you know, another rap group? I did see the greatness in them. And also I seen Muggs form them and Muggs had this crazy idea for him. And Sun Doobie was really dope. And, and, and I think a lot of that style was kind of off his things and he was going to be in the group. I think he kind of decided to just separate him because he was so much, he was too good or whatever, almost, mm-hmm. you know? So to speak. So they took him out of Cypress Hill or whatever. I don't know if I'm fucking up the story, but this is kind of how it was told to me at one time, you know. And um, anyway, I think Be Real grew so much as an artist, man. Like I seen old tape with Be Real. He was kind of just starting to rap. You know what I mean? It was like I'm sure he'll say, and I love Be Real, the greatest guy ever. Like so, but when he was first rap, you know, he grew a lot. And 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 San, you know. Sam was his his hype dude kind of too. You know what I mean? Sam had his mm-hmm. role. He was dope. He had that great voice. You know what I mean? But it really relied on Be Real and Muggs' whole kind of creation of it. Yeah, it was genius. I was around. I mean, I was around because then it's crazy how much I was around Cypress Hill because then uh, after I moved from that apartment, I lived with this guy, Skate Master Tate, and Muggs was real tight with him. And he got a lot of samples from there. And then I did street promotion on their single. So I was going out to like the swap meets with the their first 12 inch and cassette single. And I seen what happened because in LA, there was a little resistance. There was, they weren't popping at first. Okay. And and their first single was um, the funky feel one, but the B side was, I could just kill a man. And when people flipped that B side and started playing that B side, it was over and Cypress Hill just, never slowed down you know what i mean but it took that song and 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 i was part of the street team too like people are fucking with the b-side you know that kind of thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. i'm not trying to take too much credit for it or whatever but you know what i mean but i wrote about them before anyone else wrote about them i had a column in the source and they used that to help them get like a publishing deal and then they used that money to make a demo and get their record deal so they credit me a little bit with helping them get their deal and uh, you also had your own magazine for a brief time, and you interviewed NWA. Yeah, and Queen Latifah. Yeah. What, what, what was this NWA first album? NWA. No, no, Cube, was, Cube had just left the group. 
Oh, so really? it was like DOC and it was uh, 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 Ren and Easy E and, and Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre hadn't left yet. So he was still there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Lawrence uh, or whatever. Yeah. 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 So and, had Cube actually put out his album yet or was this like right after he left? Probably before, right around the same time. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. Yeah, okay. I, you know, th there's only a couple copies. I have one though of the of the interview, but we we just I remember we said um, they were like, "Can we take out our guns for the picture?" And we we're like, "Hell yeah!" I mean, we had a tiny magazine. There were only two issues. You know what I mean? Like you know, one the Latifah and the NWA one or whatever. You know, but uh, we like, "Yeah, you can take out your guns." They were like, "No one had, no one's ever let us." That's crazy. So, I mean, it was a little bit into their career. I don't know. They were like, no magazine ever said that's cool. Yeah. What were they like, though? Were they, you know, like, like, well, I knew they, easy. was I it knew, harmonious steel? A little bit. I knew easy a little bit. Um, I mean, Matt McDaniels, the filmmakers, the one that invited me up there. I had also known Dre. I've been around Dre a fair amount. Um, and then I worked for Cube, you know, for a while separately. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I, everybody was, I mean, I always had a really good rapport with Easy. You know what I mean? I knew some of his artists and I was kind of like a promoter marketing guy when he was doing Ruthless. You know what I mean? So there was mm -hmm. like, you know, this kind of connection. I was real good friends with his marketing promoter guy. It was like my homie and everything. You know what I mean? So I always had a great relationship with Easy and, and Dre, just like the mastermind, you know, kind of producer, you know. Nas outspoken, you know what I mean? Like, you know, genius. You know, Man, the, 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 the branches, the tree of NWA has created like, a, a, and maybe the greatest tree in hip hop, as far as artists that, that, that they produced that come out of the Dr. Dre school, the Easy right, right, school. Right. And it was yeah, so, they, it was so cool that I got to work for Ice Cube. I worked for street knowledge. So, you know, it was a little after the NWA time, you know, I was doing promotion on like Yo-Yo and Cam and the um, the Lynch Mob, um, all of those records that came out on Street Knowledge. And that's when I met, John, and that's when I met John Singleton. But it was amazing to work for Cube and get to, you know, because he was like, you know, like an idol of mine. You know, so. What was what was the temperature in L.A. when No Vaseline came out? I used to DJ that shit at clubs. That shit went hard. <laughs> I mean, Daz, Brick Daz was always a favorite record of mine. You know what I mean? I, and I used to play Cinderella, Dane to Dane. I would play that and that. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. That's some classy shit right there. Uh, okay, so, and you, you went, helped not It went hard. It, it was, it was, you know, it went hard. I mean, you know, I never had no confrontation. And I probably played it mostly, like, later. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I wasn't really probably like DJing around. I'm trying to remember, but I yeah, I remember that shit was scathing. I mean, I think it was just scathing. You know what I mean? So yeah, definitely top three disses in hip hop of all time. Although Common's diss towards him is actually worse, in my opinion. I used to love her. No, the bitch in you. Right. Isn't that song called I Used to Love Her? He just, isn't that the... Um, well, I Used to Love Her... Uh, oh, it's what started the controversy. It's what started the controversy. Right, right. Yeah. Right, right. And then when Cube said something, Common um, lit, his ass. Let him, lit him 
up. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, people, especially on the West Coast, weren't too familiar with the gang uh, lifestyle in Chicago. Right. This was all before we got, you know, overexposed to it, you know, yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And Cube found out quickly. <laughs> you know, you know uh, hey, I, love, so, I love Cube and Common, man. They're great, great guys. I've had the pleasure to work with both of them. So really. Blessed. Really? Oh, so you work with Common and Barbershop, right? Yeah. And then I worked with Common on this show, Chicagoland, like he did the theme for it. I was a music supervisor on it and stuff, you know, so. But I, yeah, and I, I just, you know, as a hip hop head, man, he's been seeing me out here since back in the day. So, you know, I mean, we finally got to do some work together, you know, that was cool, you know. His manager was always a friend of mine. So, how, and how'd you meet the far side? It's a funny story. I was at a, uh, the Gavin Music Convention, it was a music trade uh, for journalists, uh, college radio DJs, and they used to have back in the day in San Francisco. And just in a room partying, you know, it's like two in the morning, something like that. And, uh, you know, a little drinking, a little uh, smoking going on, you know. And then and then Razkaz, uh comes up into the room with this, these guys and he goes, hey, these are rappers. This is a group. And it's so funny, you know. And then and then the guy um, uh, whose room it was, um, uh, DJ um uh said um oh man he said this guy gets people record deals to me about me and so they got in the huddle and uh, lano brazil i'm sorry dj lano brazil that's who uh said oh this guy gets people record deals and then so they got a little huddle they came out and they did that song your mama and they were like jumping up and down on the like the bed and the hotel and everything and talking about your mom made 20 uh 82 burritos at taco bell or something we're already faded we were crying <laughs> That shit was all time classic. We were like, oh my God, who are these guys? Who are these kids? You know? So it was amazing. So I hooked up with them the next day. It was like three of them. One of them wasn't there. And then I came back to LA and um, they were right in Inglewood, right up the street, you know, from actually where I was like born. I grew up in Baldwin Hills, but I was originally in Inglewood for a couple of years when I was very young. And anyway, so they, you know, um, I started managing them. And I got them their record deal, you know, shopped them around a little bit. Def Jam passed. Um, they really wanted to be signed to Def Jam. Um, some other labels were interested. We ended up doing with Delicious Vinyl. Had that home feel for the kids because they were like a little crazy, the far side, you know. Delicious Vinyl had an eclectic bunch, to say the least. Well, it was my first real job. After I had an internship at Arista, I worked at Delicious Vinyl, so I was like kind of family for me. And then just the way they ran stuff was like more like family-ish. You know what I mean? They were more like, okay. Like just like their philosophy. Let me give Mike Ross a little props. Like his philosophy for making albums was like, um, instead of like putting this budget on it, it was kind of like, okay, here's your advance. And then let's go make the album. Like, you know, how can you put a price on what it, you know, Picasso, uh, price out the art he was going to use on the Mona Lisa, the paint he was going to use on the Mona Lisa. Like, you know, I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, you're trying to make art, trying to make something great, uh, trying, you know, trying to do it efficiently in a business manner with the far side. Whoa. But, you know, but <laughs> that was just kind of more his philosophy. And like, you know, I don't want to, you, you know, so I, I just, that was always something that's like, that's different. 
You know what I mean? That was a different kind of strategy or whatever. I don't know. I just don't know if the far side would have happened anywhere else because they kind of needed that like um, hip hop type of place that really got them and understood them. And As they opposed had some, to some, some of the major lucky breaks too. Yeah. That were, at that point we're just still kind of understanding hip hop, you know. Okay, so Warren G. How do you how do you meet Warren G. and how do you end up getting him his first deal? Well, that was that was through John Singleton. I so I'm working for Cube, like I told you, and then I'm DJing out, and I run into John Singleton, and he's impressed with what I got going on. He likes the Far Side, who I'm already managing. Uh, I invite him to this like unsigned music showcase I'm doing, and he really digs that. And uh, at the Roxy, like some sold out shit, and he says, and at that show, when I at that Roxy thing, he says to me, I want you to run my record label and music supervise my new movie, Poetic Justice. So I was like, fuck, yeah, you know, <laughs> like win, like big W, you know? So I, I went from working in the 60s and Nipsey's hood to like on the lot at Sony, you know what I mean? Working for John Singleton, VP of his record label, you know? And uh, so working on Poetic Justice, I was in the Death Row studio, you know, we were trying to get it. We we're supposed to get a Snoop song, which ended up being the Dog Pound song. And in that time, you know, I met Warren and he was like, hey, I got my own stuff. And he played me uh, the song Indo Smoke, uh, oh. Mr. Graham. And I was like, oh, man, we're going to put this on the soundtrack. And we put it on the soundtrack and uh, we started managing Warren. And then um, I sent a copy of that video, the Mr. Graham Indo Smoke video to Chris Lighty, RIP Chris Lighty, what a G he was. And um, in the second or third verse, Warren raps. And so he hits me back and goes, hey, who's this other artist? Is he unsigned or whatever? I go, oh, yeah, that's Warren G. He's a producer. We manage him. And all of a sudden, Def Jam is making big offers to sign Warren G. So that's how that deal came about. Next Did he up. actually say Def Jam? Who? Warren G. Did he say Def Jam where? Um, I, I was watching the Drink Champs episode, and actually yeah. uh, Lyra Cohen kind of verified it, too. He was just saying it. He, that, now that I think about it, it's a pointless question. Oh, that he saved Def Jam. Yes. Oh, hell yeah. Russell says it, too. Um, yeah, because Def Jam was in this weird place where they were going in between their distributor of Sony, their original distributor, to Polygram, which would turn into Polygram Universal later. And um, they were out of dough, and they had had a bunch of bricks, had a long line of bricks. And then Warren came in triple platinum out the gate, just as they're like starting their new deal or whatever. So, yeah, they say it saved Def Jam because Def Jam, you know, was in the uh, in the wrong side of the the books, you know. Mm. Wow. So, so how did that end with Warren G and you? What? Well, I was Warren's manager, and then Def Jam gave me a record label deal. Right for my own for PMP, okay. And uh, Warren decided it was a conflict of interest for me to work with Def Jam and be his manager, so I stopped working with him after that point. But we're great friends for a long time, man. Great dude, you know. Okay, what are he, your went thoughts his, on, he went with his uncle to manage him after that. What are your thoughts on Liar Cohen? I learned a lot working with him. <laughs> <laughs> understood <laughs> understood um uh let's see 
De La Soul first album, you helped promote that, correct? Yes. Yes, that was an amazing experience. Uh, and Dante Ross, a good friend of mine who, who worked on that. And, uh, the, you know, Tom Silverman, Monica Lynch, the whole Tommy Boy crew. And, of course, the group, man. You know what I mean? And, and Prince Paul and everybody. I mean, that was just such a life-changing kind of like moment in hip-hop. For us, people that were big hip-hop fans for a long time when that came out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So to be involved in that was incredible. I had a deal where I, I was like on retainer for Tommy Boy. So we did like OPP. We did... Queen Latifah. That's how we got the interview. You know what I mean? Like, cause I was street promoting, uh, for, for, for her first single. Uh, so we did all the Tommy boy stuff and that, that's how the, that's how the, uh, relationship came with De La Soul and everything. So, you know, they're good guys that came to some like birthday parties I had and everything. And, uh, had some mutual friends that were real close to them. Um, did some work with Mace later, hired him to DJ, uh, when I was at Puma doing music marketing and stuff, you know, but, just like culture shifters, you know? More so, would you say them or Tribe Called Quest? More more as far as shifting the culture. Musically, Tribe Called Quest, image-wise, De La Soul. Like, De La Soul was like the poster child. Where like, Tribe was in the back doing all the work. I mean, you know, uh, putting it, you know, I mean, Tribe... I'm a huge Tribe fan, so I'm a, you know I'm a little biased, you know. But um, De La Soul's first album for me was kind of like that. What you were talking about that EPMD and that Eric B thing too. It was kind of like a reinventation of the way they were using samples, you know. Yeah, they definitely changed Pretty. how a lot of people viewed sampling. Yeah, yeah. It was just a really creative album, and just kind. I think you know like. Hip hop is, you know, can be kind of like one note, you know, everyone's on a certain thing or whatever. So it was great to have this alternative thing that was also really funky and vibey. You know what I mean? Like as a DJ, you know, I mean, I played uh, me, myself and I roller skates, you know, not, not a zillion of their songs. Mostly I played me, myself and I, you know what I mean? Because a lot of their stuff was too like. It was out there. Yeah, yeah, you know. It's a lot of trippy shit. Yeah. Also, and actually, I think you know what I think. Tribe also changed. I think Tribe showed people the value of digging in the crates more so than any other group, and and Daylight showed the value of using what they find in different ways. If that makes sense. All right. So who we got next? Leaders of the new school. You were the first to. Uh, you did their first show on the West Coast, correct? This is true. Was Buster Rhymes, did you know Buster Rhymes would be the icon that he is? No, but you could tell he was a star for sure. You know what I mean? So it certainly wasn't hard to imagine. You know what I mean? It happened or whatever. You know, I mean, he was just like, you know, it was interesting. The group was interesting, but it was, it did, it did feel kind of like, like the far side, I felt kind of worked because everyone was kind of dope, but there was kind of this evenness, like, with their group, it was a little too much on Buster's shoulders to last, I felt like. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. The other dudes came in and had their little part, but you know what I mean? And, and, and proof's kind of in the pudding of history. Possibly, you know, no disrespect to any of the other members or anything. You know what I'm saying? But, like, we see what Buster did, you know? So, yeah, it was pretty self-evident that he was a superstar from early, early on, that sh from that show, from, you know what I mean, from any of their shows and, you know. So, uh, yeah, big, 
big props uh, to Buster for being a super head. I remember one time he came to my house while I was living in Mid-City, and um, I gave him a, a vinyl album of Public Enemy's first album. He was pumped, man. What a hip-hop head. Kind of wish I kept it, but there. It was just so, I was just so, <laughs> This when I run into him, I'd be like, "Remember that public enemy album I gave you?" You know what I mean? At least I got that. Uh, uh, but um, yeah, it was admit like I think it was unsealed too or something like that. But um, and you're not talking about a nation. It takes a nation. You're talking about the uh, I want the Uzi ways of time or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I didn't hear that. Like I, I when I started coming to Cleveland. Like Cleveland was like they were bumping that shit hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Uzi weighs a ton, and there was another one about that '98. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we oh. played that. We were playing that when it came out, but more it was more like for us, like we were playing that at the house. You know, the parties we were doing, it was a little a little more commercial than that. You know what I mean? We didn't do really have parties where we played that shit. We liked it. We liked it. It. You know what I mean? But it, it wasn't, wasn't a party spot. Not for what we were doing. I was in the suburbs of the Bay Area. You know what I mean? So it wasn't really quite like that. But we were certainly appreciating it and soaking it up. You know what I mean? I mean, well, you know, Public P.E. didn't didn't really make, you know, that, that definitely was not their stick. No, but I did used to play a, pu- a lot of Public Enemy later, like that Pete Rock remix and like, you know, because the songs that they had, they were high energy, like, you know. Uh, and when it when it was their era, too, they were like the, Played that shit at the height of the party type shit. You know what I mean? Because they went so hard. Oh my god, man! But they no. they they changed the game too. I'll say that. All right. So, House of Pain. Yes. How'd you how 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 did you run into House of Pain? Well, I used to do this club called Water the Bush that was kind of a uh, 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 legendary. When I say used to do, I was a part of a lot of people that were involved in the club, right? Okay. But it was a legendary hip hop club. Africa, uh, Islam was part of it. Ice T was part of it, and we had all these like EPMD, Public Enemy, um, De La, um, all performed there. Um, I don't think anyone ever got paid either. They were like doing it for, <laughs> but but uh, the 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 the, the Booyah Tribe was our security until they quit one night in the at, during a, a night when we were open, like quit you know. Um, I was a classic hip hop club, so I was involved in that. You know what I mean? And then DJ around town and stuff, and so it, I was known. And I was doing that street promotion for the labels at the time, right? So mm-hmm. I would be seen at least. You know, LA's kind of was at that time. You got to understand the whole music industry was based out of New York, and LA was pretty removed. We didn't have too many labels out here or things. You know, people like trying A and R or anything like that out here. So people were looking at me like the closest thing. You know what I mean? You know, people saw something in a young P. I was out there hustling a little bit, you know. And so Everlast came up to me when he had the House of Pain demo. And he said, hey, you know, Cypress Hills just kind of, they hadn't really come out yet. We're just starting to come out. They were just bubbling. And he said, I need my own manager. So I became their manager. I started shopping their demo. And I got him a deal with Tommy Boy. Was jump around on the demo, exactly like it is now, bro. Oh wow! So that's what and got somebody was slapped on it. How crazy is that? Who who came to you and you said no, and and you were wrong? 
Hard to say. I mean, we got had we had Eminem's demo, but it was just like also it was at a time where I couldn't sign anything, so I didn't want to hear it. Everybody in my office was going crazy. You know what I mean? But I, I already knew I couldn't. You know, it was already like Interscope was in the mix. You know what I mean? I like my label wasn't that. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I almost signed Tyrese. Came very close to signing Tyrese because he was an old friend. You know what I mean? But got beat out by uh, 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 RCA. Um, I mean, I definitely missed some shit. I ain't trying to act like I'm all super ear or whatever, but you know what I mean? But, but I don't, I, none come to mind. Not too many come to mind. You know what I mean? Why wouldn't you sign Eminem? I don't get that. Like, why would you, you not even try? Well, I had to deal through Loud, through BMG, through RCA, and Interscope was already interesting. I, I don't think I even had a chance. And I had oh, I had signed too many artists, and I was trying to like figure out my deal. You know what I mean? I mean, I, okay. I, I I don't think it was time for me. I didn't aggressively try to. It was like somebody. That, let me put rephrase this too. The demo wasn't sent to me by like Paul Rosenberg or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like who I did end up meeting or whatever. But um, like I think shortly after that. But one of my guys brought uh, Justin Trugman brought it into the office. So they, they, you know what I mean? They had it, but it was like, he was like, yeah, it's already kind of here and here. So I was like, yeah, that don't, you know. I remember oh. listening to it and knowing it was dope. That's for sure. No hatred on that. Um, yeah. I think the first thing, the, matter of fact, I know, uh, Just Don't Give a Fuck was the first song I heard of his. And I remember calling my boy up. And I, didn't, I didn't even know what the kid looked like at the time. Right. And I remember calling my boy up like, bruh. And rest in peace to my guy, Pop. But I'm like, bruh, like, you got you to gotta hear this shit. I, I was pumped on him when he was first coming out, too. Yeah. Oh, my it's God. Because I can't even, like, remember that era now. Like, it's, it's like, and I'm always like, was it that good? Or was it just a little, like, of the era? You know what I mean? Kind of like. I don't really hear people bumping those old songs like oldies that much. No, no diss or anything, you know. I could be wrong. Um, you know what I'm saying? I, yeah, yeah. I, but I remember like when he was on like putting out records on like Rockets Records or whatever. Like some of that stuff. Is that what you're talking about? Some of that, like mixtape stuff or whatever. Like, no, uh, uh-uh. uh. This was the first joint because I remember I had a tape. This was the first uh-huh. joint that he did uh, with Dre and them. I don't oh. know if he actually did the song with them, gotcha. but it was the first joint that, that gotcha. they put out. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, his first shit I really liked. I mean, I liked the shit he did on Rockets Records, and I liked the first shit he did with Dre or whatever. You know what I mean? So, but, um, yeah, no, he, yeah, anyway. And the shit he did with Young Z and them was kind of dope, too. The Outsiders. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he had a lot of, he had a lot of dope shit. It seemed like they didn't age that well a lot of it, but I would like, agree. No yeah, good. like, yeah. and then you know when he got a, uh, 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 and I tell people all the time, like M on drugs is an animal. Right. Sober M is not the same MC, right? You know, and I I'm rooting for you. I want you to keep your sobriety, but you know it, it's it's definitely at different levels. All oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, good luck to him. Let's see what he does. Let's see what he comes with next, right? It's always interesting to hear. 
F. Gary Gray. What happened with him? Oh, yeah, you listen to some old interviews, yeah. Um, <laughs> we hired him to do the Fantastic Voyage video to direct the Coolio's Fantastic Voyage video, which was Coolio's first hit. If anybody doesn't know, it was the Lakeside song, you know, and it was a, ended up being a big hit. And and he hadn't really done he hadn't really directed any videos yet. I don't think maybe one, maybe two, but probably I don't think he did anything. And it was a really big budget video too for that time, which is kind of crazy because Tommy Boy was notoriously kind of cheap and everything, you know. But and they suggested him, but we were all on board with it. We were I was friends with him, Coolio was friends with him, um, so it was like a win. And uh, after he did the video. I was just like asking him for all the raw footage because I wanted to analyze it. I was just trying to study and learn about filmmaking more or less. I had done mm -hmm. this with all the videos I worked on with all my clients. Mm -hmm. And he said he wouldn't be doing that. And uh, I didn't take it very well. <laughs> so was that your ego? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you gotta be careful because you never know if you're talking shit to somebody like who they're gonna be later, right? So that's a, that's like a, I tell that story to teach people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, don't make the same mistake I did. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm really into humility. You know what I mean? So yeah, that could have been easily avoided. I could have handled that a million ways. You know what I mean? But uh, and then hopefully I would have been a part of Gary Gray's career moving forward as his music supervisor, since I was certainly the only music supervisor he knew. You know what I mean? I was already, uh, uh, I had already done poetic justice at that point. Yeah, and he was just getting in the game, really. Yeah, you was right. you was poised, and and F. Gary Gray has had a career. Yeah, much 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 love to him. He made some classics. Yeah, it was yeah. cool. I, I mean, I got to work with him at that point. You know what I mean? Anyway, so you know. Uh, uh, I he came to he, I remember he came to one of my birth I got a nice picture with him on my birthday parties. It's like me, him, Fatima, the dance, the choreographer, uh Paula J. Parker, the actress, you know, like way back. You know, so yeah, so he's 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 much respect to him. I've enjoyed a lot of his movies. Coolio. Whoops. How how did you end up running into Coolio? That's when I was working for Cube at Street Knowledge. Like WC was like Coolio's hype man, and Coolio was like WC's hype man. So we brought him up to Street Knowledge. And as I always say, Coolio saw my white ass sitting down there in what they called the dungeon. I was in the basement, but they used to have DJ Pooh Studio used to be. Mm -hmm. And Three's graphic printing place used to be. And that's where they gave me my office. And he saw me down there, and he was just like, you're going to be my manager. So I was managing Farside already, and... Uh, he shot me the demo that him and DJ Wino had produced. And uh, I was instantly like impressed with the music. And uh, I just started managing it from there. What was, the, what was that movie? Was that Dangerous Minds? Yep. Yep. Gangster's Paradise. Yeah, they record that at my house later. Uh, that was, you know, a couple of years later from after when I first met him. You know, we started managing him. I, I started managing him with my team and. Um, yeah, my, the producer was my roommate, Doug Rashid, and LV, the singer, was my client. 
And uh, yeah, one day Coolio came by and he heard that beat and they just recorded it right there. And did you know that right then and there was a classic? No one knew. We sent it to the label and they, 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 they talked to like, eh, I'm not crazy about it. So I, I, I knew a couple of people that were doing movies. Uh, one of them was Bad Boys and the other one was uh, uh, um, uh, the one that ended up being Dangerous Minds. And they both wanted to use it and ended up negotiating the deal um, for Dangerous Minds to do it there instead of Bad Boys. Could have been in Bad Boys too. But I think Dangerous Minds put a lot more behind it. They put, um, you know, the actress, the huge actress, and the uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in the in the music video, and that kind of like made it internationally different. You know what I mean? It was as if like like you thought he was in the movie. Yeah, there was so much correlation with the movie. Like it was it was the height of like the song helping promote and market the movie because they said the movie didn't test well. And then they just kind of like tried to insert the song afterwards. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it, like you say, almost as if he was in the movie or something like yeah. that. So, yeah, they did a, a really good job with that. And that's one of the reasons that we went there, because the offer was uh, the same for Bad Boy. Like they were it was both Simpson Bruckheimer movies. They wouldn't like negotiate against each other. So and Coolio was like, I'll let you decide. And so I picked Dangerous Minds because I thought they were going to promote it harder. I thought we'd do more business with them, with that company, and we did. Wow. That's 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 a lot of faith to put in you. Because I don't think, just looking back at both movies, it definitely, it just would, it would have been. Oh, man, song. you we, know what I mean? Like, why would we have gone with Bad Boys? You know what I mean? It seemed way cooler. The yeah. movie was cooler, but the, the, the symbiosis was not would not have been the same. You know, like I can't think I of dangerous easily, mind without that I could have easily gone the other way. And man, that song might have never blown up. You know what I mean? Too. Yeah. Or been like way different how much it blew up. You know what I mean? So um yeah, I was I was um uh I made the right call that time. And I was blessed to have a client that like, you know, put it in my yeah, head. Listen. Yeah. 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 the documentary, has it come out yet? No, we're still working on it, but we're talking to some exciting people. Keep it posted. Yeah, I, man, I was looking at the the uh, the trailers. The trailers. Yeah, yeah, phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Samuel Marcus, man, really talented guy. Marcus Thorington, I guess his filmmaker name. Sorry, um, super dope guy. Made the first trailer for me, and then the remix intro that we dropped more recently, and got a lot of big interest from him. So, yeah, working on it. I think we'll make it happen soon. So just trying to do it the right way, the right place. Yeah. How'd you meet Snoop? Through Poetic Justice, working on Poetic Justice. Boy, that movie was a gold mine for you, huh? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I mean, damn, it was Poetic Justice, man. It was like my first movie. I'm working with Pac and Janet Jackson. You know what I mean? I mean, John, we had a meeting with, uh, we had a meeting up at his offices with uh, Suge, Dre, and Snoop. So that was probably the first time I met Snoop. Was Suge as advertised? Snoop was school with Coolio, too. So, I mean, 
I ran into him like in Hollywood. So, but it was as soon as I started working with Warren, that's what kind of endeared Snoop to me because you know the history. You know, Warren got kind of shit on when the death row thing happened, and then I came in and got him the deal. So, um, so Snoop, I think, gives me a lot of love for that. You know, and I did it in a cool way. You know what I mean? I mean, well, he, you know, somebody else that seems to have gotten not the, you know, he got the love, but not necessarily the career was Nate Dogg. R.I.P. Yeah. You know, yeah. definitely rest in peace to him. Yeah. Why not? Um, I think that, you know, there were a lot of superstars on his label. They were, you know, kind of like taking the resources maybe in time away maybe from him. I don't know. Maybe, you know, he didn't like, he didn't have Dr. Dre to help craft. You know what I mean? Maybe he, you know, to, he needed maybe the right producer to help like craft his projects the right way, his art the right way. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. his contributions through like other people's features and hooks is like ridiculous right but then his own body of work is kind of slim compared to that you know what i mean in comparison to that i would say so yeah i think just kind of like he didn't have the right artist development or production kind of team to guide him maybe to like present his thing correctly yeah definitely uh especially with death row him rbx and the lady of rage just got the short end of the stick right yeah and rage was like man there was so much talent there yeah some of it didn't get to develop correctly you know what i mean i think you know yeah eve was smart to leave yeah for sure right mm -hmm. in retrospect she, right for sure yeah yeah she did the best thing for her and end up having a phenomenal career um what you doing currently Working on some philanthropic stuff in the Crenshaw community and in the barrios of Santo Domingo, uh, Dominican Republic, where I've been spending some time so music supervising, uh, shopping music for sync, doing consult for indie artists about sync, mainly about all kinds of things, but primarily about how to get their music synced. If somebody wants to come, if they want to get involved with getting their music synced, just a random person... Yeah that just makes good music, but doesn't have yeah. any connects. How would they go about getting in contact with you? Instagram. Uh, they can DM me on Instagram. Uh, Paul underscore DJP underscore Stuart. Um, it's probably tagged maybe in something you guys post or whatever, but yeah, hit me up on Instagram and send me a DM. I, I definitely read those and follow up and uh, yeah. I have a great service right now where I'm helping a lot of indie artists get their first placements or get placements. Is there a certain song, I mean, a certain sound you're looking for or just? No, we need, every, we need everything, you know. I mean, you know, I if I start working with you, I can see what you do and coach you how to, you know what I mean, build mm -hmm. towards things that will be more placeable than others. You know, but it's a little broad because we have needs for everything, you know, as long as it's good what you do at that you know is it, is it lucrative it can be one of the best ways for indie artists to make money right now one of the most reliable and and uh, uh 
uh, realistic ways for a lot of indie artists to make music. It's a bit of a hard nut to crack, but if you get in there. How about uh, people that do scores? It's a great space for producers, you know, or composers like that have been doing it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's crowded space. It's a great space, though. Something I work with all the time, you know. Every film has a score, every TV show. Not most, a lot of TV shows I work on have composers, not all of them, you know. Hmm. How about jingles? Because I'm just just throwing it out there now at this point. Yeah, I, I, I don't... I don't work in that space really. I work, you know, so much like ads and promos and commercials, but not really jingles. Not really something I deal with, you know. I always wanted to make commercial. I always wondered how they go about, like, you know, like what's the process for a commercial? I mean, I, I, I kind of know, you know, they get they go to an ad company. The ad company, you know, makes up something they think will be a good commercial, takes it to the, the what call it. But like, I, I, like, are people literally just sitting in a room, just tossing ideas around? Is that easy? Easy if you're the right people in the right room. <laughs> well, apparently, apparently, I need to get in better rooms because my basement is not 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 doing That's the trick. Right. And the commercial ad stuff is tricky, you know. But uh, definitely, man, anybody that's want trying to get syncs, I recommend they hit me up. And um, I'm offering specials and stuff, you know, right now through the season. Uh, and uh, I've been helping a lot of artists get syncs, a lot of producers get syncs. So, you know, there's a bit of a science to it. So, you know, I can explain all that to you pretty cost effectively. And then where you take that information is is on you, you know. And if you have good stuff, then you can give it to me, too. And I can also try to help place it, you know. So all right. I'll let I'll let, you know, the, the, the I'm not talented in that in that area. Oh, yeah, but um, spread the word. Yeah, spread the I will word. absolutely let people know. And if there's anything I can possibly do for you, I'm not sure what. But if there is, you say the word well, and I got you. Well, thanks for having me on your platform, man. You know, so Thank you, it. man. It's been an honor. Yeah. Sorry for the mix-up earlier. No worries. No worries, man. Well, you know, have a great evening. Is there, I, I, um, I think we, we went the hour, so I figured we're wrapped. I mean, is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Or did you have any last questions or anything you wanted to go? Or? Eh, no. I got to get – I'm old, man. It's, it's – it's about it's, it's peak old man hours. Hey, okay. Well, appreciate you having me. Everyone knows how to reach me if they want to reach me. And, and you have a good evening, man. We'll talk soon, okay? You too, man. Stay in touch, man. Appreciate okay. you. All right, take care. You too. Yo, that was pretty dope. Um, and yo, uh, no, we didn't know Buster Rhymes was going. I thought Buster actually thought Buster Rhymes' career uh, underperformed for what I thought thought he was going to be especially but when he did scenario like i don't know if you're still listening lebron but when he did scenario everybody knew that buster rhymes was a superstar in the making that that was not a surprise um when you first heard m on the wake up show and gurus there it was going back and forth you know what i did have one more question i forgot to ask him about big boy from la but oh well uh nate only did nate did not only do hooks nate made songs too they just did not fare well. Um, Nate made an album. I know one for sure that I remember. I don't remember the name of it, but I know that if I, you know, made, it might be the wine, but I'm pretty sure Nate Dogg made a whole album. Um, but Nate Dogg is an absolute treasure, um, especially as far as the hooks go. And it's just sad that the bruh couldn't really, you know, get that space.
as far as you know a solo career. Um, although it's, it's it seemed that he did pretty well with the hooks and he made a good living, um, but I think he did you know kind of want more. Um, I really the Lady of Rage though, man, it was just will go down in hip hop history as one of the one of if not the biggest what if I think Dr. Dre for whatever reason he really really dropped the ball with her and unfortunately ruined her career um, damn anyway on that note, man, um, I definitely want to say thanks again to Paul Stewart. And again, we do apologize uh, for the late start. Um, however, y'all have a good one, man. This is Jobs, and this has been another episode of Intellectually Petty Radio.